Welcome to Demystifying Innovation, a podcast from the Office of Research and Innovation at Humber College. I'm Nathan Whitlock, a professor and program coordinator in Humber's Faculty of Media and Creative Arts. In this podcast, we talk to academic leaders about the setbacks, challenges, obstacles, and outright mistakes they've faced in their careers, and the important lessons they've drawn from those moments. My guest for this episode is Derek Stockley, the Associate Vice President, Academic, Acting Senior Dean for the Faculty of Social and Community Services, and the Principal at Lakeshore Campus. I've got a question for you, um, which is something I'm asking a lot of people on this podcast, and it's especially relevant to you because you have so many uh, responsibilities right now, so many senior responsibilities at Humber. And that is when you're thinking about how to keep a team innovating and, you know, in this zone where they're, where they're willing to take some, some risks, some calculated risks, how do you do that without defaulting this idea that like, oh, you know what, everything's working now. Why would we change anything? Please don't, don't change a thing. It's all just working. How do you actually keep in, keep it in mind that, you know, if it's working today, it might not work tomorrow. We got to keep thinking, thinking ahead. Yeah, I think I think in terms of um, of working with the team, right, and and, and leading a team in that direction, uh, a big part of it comes from the the strategic direction of the institution. So that that's kind of the star that we aim towards and and, and move towards. And and there's so many things embedded in there that that provide opportunity or or almost a, a requirement to continue to innovate rather than an opportunity. But I think to keep the momentum going, you need to do a couple things. You need to, um, A, provide the support to, to have those failures, to, to have those setbacks. And, and I know we say that a lot, uh, and, and, but saying it is one thing and experiencing it is something entirely different. So how do you normalize that setback uh, on the road to innovation? How do you make that part of the road and, and not a step backwards? It's part of the path forward. Uh, and, and a big part for me is, uh, you know, my, my team will, will often hear me say, you know, we're, we're not necessarily measured on all the great things we do. We're also measured on how we respond to those mistakes and setbacks. You know, that's why they're in positions of leadership when it comes to this institution and, and pushing forward innovation. So it's how do you respond when things don't go right? That's, that's a huge part of, of being a leader in this type of environment. And I think both of those things are um, you know, you need to have both of those things happening simultaneously in order to keep momentum when you know momentum won't always be there. It's interesting, you know, I've had this experience with students too, and it's sometimes it's hard to get that lesson across. And sometimes yeah. students, some students handle it beautifully. Some mm-hmm. need to learn that lesson of, yeah, it's, it's how you respond when things go wrong. And so, uh, you know, a student that misses an assignment just forgets that it's coming up. And one will send you a message going, I'm so sorry, I'm sending it in now, I'll take the lost marks, just letting you know. And another student may completely go AWOL and go, oh my God, this is over. They think I'm an idiot. I'm never, I'm not gonna respond to any messages or we'll send an angry message saying, well, there's too many assignments in this course anyway. And your, your deadline was too quick and your instructions were stupid and all the other yeah. students hate you. 
there's the, there's sometimes there's that lesson they were like well you know missing the assignment's not that big a deal if you just say if you just own up to it and go yeah. you know what it's coming in now i'll take the hit yeah. it's it's the other thing it's the other reaction that actually makes things worse for sure you know that reminds me when i was teaching i did a lot of um teaching of field work and so students would go to the field and and, and many of them would have these terrible experiences and i'd say you know somewhat tongue-in-cheek but but also not like isn't that amazing that you're having these struggles? Because because let me tell you, when you go for a job, the, the interview questions are never, tell me about a time when everything went well. No, tell me about a time when, <laughs> yeah. when nothing happened that you had to adapt to or change to or were challenged by. And, and, and would then you know, proceed to talk about um, how all these moments that they were experiencing that are frustrating and, and having similar responses that you had, Nathan, where they would say, that, you know, it shouldn't have been set up this way. And uh, you know, this isn't part of my learning contract. It's not a part of my assignment being able to step back and say, these are moments that, that you can harvest and take with you uh, and can become a really important part of your storytelling of who you are as you know, social workers at the time or child youth workers or, or whatever it, identity it is you're trying to move forward with. And, and while I wouldn't, you know, I would never want to set up uh, work integrated learning experiences for students to face failure. So they of can course, have those experiences. Of course. Yeah. I, I, do, I do think there's a, a lot to be said about how do we, how do we normalize that? Cause that, that's also part of, of um, workplaces that they will they will come across. So I, I don't want to normalize it to say, uh, don't worry about it. That that happens in the in the quote unquote real world, as though mm -hmm. as though what we do isn't a real world. Um, but to say that does happen in the real world, and how are you going to respond to it, and how are you going to adapt to it, and, and and you know what didn't you do well this time? And hey, the first time this happened to me, I you know I I lost it. I I you know I was so upset. Here's what I did. Um, yeah. So yeah, so many opportunities. So many. Opportunities. It's 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 also something I tell the instructors who are coming into my program that I coordinate, mm. which is, it's one of the first pieces of advice I give them if they haven't taught before, which is yeah. be ready with some stories of failure because the students, yeah. first of all, it's entertaining, <laughs> but yeah. it also it it gives them the sense that like no nobody came in as a superhero. Yeah. This doesn't all go perfectly. It's we all yeah. screw up. We all find ourselves in a situation yeah. where we're just not up to the task and we've got to learn something and learn a lesson and be uh, ready to collect those stories for yourself as an instructor right like i remember mm -hmm. the first three years i taught my, my goal this is such a naive goal but i honestly thought as a full-time instructor that i could teach to a level where everybody in the class got and deserved an a plus right like that, that i i all I, all I needed to do is have the right instructions and the right assignment and go over it the right way and have self-reflective marking and and give you know copious feedback and and, uh, you know, it wasn't until the third year that I realized that that might not be possible. And that's okay as well. Like it didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't give up my search for it. It didn't give up my desire to, to continually try to, to, to make it there. But, uh, um, but I did realize early on, uh, you know, and, and I honestly thought, Nathan, I, I'm saying this probably for the first time, uh, I honestly thought by the third year, I would be that faculty member where everyone was, was earning those A pluses. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and again, to flip it to the student perspective, something else I say, and, and it was hard for me to learn as an instructor teaching them is that the student who aces everything with a 98, you know, and aces is not necessarily the most hireable student, not necessarily mm -hmm. the best quote unquote student. They just might have a particular aptitude or they have the time mm -hmm. or they have, they're coming into it with certain privilege or the, you know, pre-existing, yeah. yeah. you know, experience and education. I've often found it's the students who start at about a, you know, 70 and work their way up to an 80 or an 85 yeah. or even a 90 right at the end. 
they're the ones you want to make sure get hired and they're the because they fought their way they learned they they came in and they're like oh i'm i'm drowning a little bit i need to yeah. fight my way through this it's it's yeah. not coming easy and, and we're and we're so privileged as educators to to be part of that journey yeah either oh absolutely of it or encouragers of it or or you know sometimes pulling them up or, or pushing from behind and uh, yeah speaking of you know how we handle obstacles and challenges sure. and and failures quote unquote yeah i i want to ask you about uh, uh was there a moment was there a project was there an initiative that you tried a risk you took that just bottomed out that that did not perform the way you thought it would you know and the difficulty is always just kind of narrowing it down to one uh, mm -hmm. but you know when i think of a, of a big initiative a big risk i took um, happened just before I, I moved into the field of education. I was a, a family therapist, still am, um, and I, I ran a clinic for adolescents. And so we were, this is, this is about 20 years ago, so you have to go back in technology uh, because the story is about technology. And, and at the time, we were trying to figure out how to work with adolescents in a different way, how to connect with them in a different way. And we came up with this idea of doing like email therapy. Uh, so about 20 years ago. So let's let's you know the let's find a platform that we can email them and they can email us back and it's going to be so innovative and hip and cool. And so we we researched the different platforms and we researched uh, different encryption pieces. We talked to lawyers about how we could do this. We talked to our board of directors about how they could support this. We had money invested in in a pilot. Um, we did so many steps and, and with each step became more and more excited and, and thought we were on the, the brink of, of introducing something new to the entire world. Um, and then we roll it out, you know, the day comes uh, that we're so confident in the product that we roll it out to the uh, to this team of adolescents that's working with us. And the first thing they said is, we don't respond to email. Uh, and we, we just kind of put our hands up. The whole, the whole platform is based on an email exchange. And, and that's when they told us about instant messaging. That's when they told us about the, the instant messaging that they were using at the time. I don't even remember what it was called 20 years ago. There's 27,000 platforms now. Um, but I know they said, yeah, you can, you can send us an email. Uh, we sometimes check it, uh, but we probably won't get back to it till after the next time we see you anyways. Right. So, and it yeah. was just, you know, this, um, yet if you would have told me before I put that in front of a, um, of, uh, of a client, uh, what we had in our hands, I, I would have told you that it was shining gold inside that box. It was this revolutionary way of, of working. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yet we, we it just we did it went nowhere. We did we didn't even launch it after that after the pilot. We did, we we tried it with a couple um, clients and uh, and quickly realized they're right. Like yeah, they would respond, but we'd have to prod them, and you know usually it was already in a session that was happening, and that wasn't the, the intention. So that was that was um, you know one where I felt like we involved so many people that the impact was going back you know, for, from an accountability perspective to update them and, and let them know just how it went. And what was the lesson you drew from that? Was there a sort of general lesson going forward that you, that you drew that aside from yeah. that young, young people don't look at their email. <laughs> as a yeah. Role. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was funny because the equivalent would be if I said to you, Hey, I'm, is it okay if we communicate with facts is kind of what it felt like. Like if I told you that right now, <laughs> let's do this interview over facts and, uh, and how your response might be. It's possible, uh, but it, it's, it ain't going to have a good product. So mm -hmm. 
you know, the lesson I learned, it's two things. Uh, one is, you know, listen to your audience, right? Go to your audience, start your feedback there. It's so, so obvious. And it was so obvious as soon as they gave us that feedback, right? It, it took a couple moments of uh, getting through the sheer panic of, of the fact that we have a product that isn't going to work at all. Um, and then there was a bit of shame to get through and then other emotions as well. And then, and then the aha moment, which was, why didn't we start here? Why didn't we, why didn't we have the voices of, of the, you know, what I would call an end user uh, at the very beginning, right? It's, this is, this is who we're building it for explicitly for them, not for us in part for us, but, um, and, and it was such an obvious uh, sort of light that went off, um, but, but way too late. And, and, and the second piece as well, you know, when it comes to technology, and I'm glad I learned this early is, um, you know, not to be ageist at all, but, but ask people who, who are using the technology that, that you're trying to identify with. And, and what I have found is younger people do have a different, um, you know, they, they use it as a different type of tool. And, and you want to you want to get that knowledge if you're intending to use those tools yourself. Yeah, it reminds me of many, many years ago. And this this actually shows how long ago this was. But and it's 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 hard to remember that it was hard to believe there was this period in history and cultural history. But there was a time before the Star Wars prequels came out when young people had no idea what Star Wars, somewhere between Return of the Jedi and the, the right. prequels, there was a period where it was just lost. You know, it was yeah. only people who had seen it, the older ones in the history. I went to, I was asked to go speak to a high school um, English class about writing and editing and publishing and, and, and all that stuff. And I wanted to make a point about editing and, and the importance of editing. And I used, the original movie Star Wars is an example because it's notoriously it, yeah. the first edit was terrible and then they went back and re-edited it and made it what it was. And I told this whole story thinking like this, I've got them, this is relatable, it's yeah. fun, it's a movie yeah. example, I'm not being high-minded. And they just yeah. stared back and they're like, what no is idea. Star Wars? What are you talking yeah. about? I mean, I might as well said, you know, you know, the legends of Errol Flynn, you know, where he's <laughs> <laughs> coming down the sail and he's a pirate, you know, Truly and thinking right. that was a real great, great reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now like, I can do you, that. You know, <laughs> you're like, don't worry, I'm going to fax you an update about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when we have those moments, when we have those big projects flop, obviously the, the temptation is to say, Oh, we're not trying anything like that again. If it, yeah. you know, even if we it was only working at seventy five percent before, that's where that's what that's our sweet spot now. We're gonna never try any risk. So, what advice would you give to someone who's in that, maybe in that zone right now, where they've just tried something and it failed, and they're so tempted to just say, "Fine, we're getting rid of risk." Yeah, I, I would say that you, you, you can't really get rid of risk if you're trying to look for new ways of doing things. Or, you know, if you if you are, then you're going to significantly cut back the the amount of, of field of vision, right, um, that you want to see. I used to think that my, my role as a therapist was about innovation in many ways, right? It was working with people to see their lives in unique ways and to see their the, the pieces of their lives that they were struggling with through a different lens and, 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 and even contemplate living in a different way while in the same body and the same, um, you know, economic status and all the other variables that impact health and happiness. So, um, you know, going, going back to where we started, I think really trying to normalize that piece while acknowledging um, failure hurts, 
and, um, and, and, and getting it wrong hurts a lot. So it's easy to say it's part of the journey, it's part of the process, see it as a movement forward, um, but then working with it. What do you need yourself to, to, to be able to repair your relationship to risk in those moments? And maybe it is taking a step back for a moment, um, but, but returning to it. And if you can't return to it, if you're gun shy, or I hate that saying, but uh, um, you know, th then then talk to others uh, about that because that's that's about getting through a, a personal relationship you have with risk, um, so that you can embody the 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 entrepreneurial spirit, hopefully that got you in that trouble in the first place. That that might find a solution in another place. Thanks so much, Derek. Thank you. This is uh, this has been fun. That is the podcast. Special thanks to Ginger Grant and Rochelle Morris in the Office of Research and Innovation, to Sarah Nyman and Chris Middleton at Humber Press, and to Humber's own Andy Scott, who provided the music for this series. This episode was edited, edited, edited. by me.